0: It's Easter! Oh, Is right. I mean, great day, great day. And on a day like this, you know, uh, you might think it's a little strange for me to say something like this on Easter, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? I'm going to say it anyway. And it's this. My wife won't let me touch the laundry. That's right. Now... Yes, uh, and thank you for the amen out there. Um, it might have to do with this, that when we first got together, you know, um, I had this top load washing machine. And uh, see, a side load just doesn't do it, because with the top load, what can happen is you can put the load in, in the washer, and there's more space in there, okay? So you can put, well, a second load in the washer, and, um, you know, if it doesn't quite fit, well, because it's a top load, not a side, side load, the door flies open. But top load, you can stand on the thing if you need to just to get the stuff in there. And when the when the cycle is done or the load is done, you know, what you've got is this block of stuff you can just pick up at once and throw it in the dryer. I mean, it's really cool, really great. But that's probably not the reason why she doesn't want me to touch the laundry. Okay, all of my, I'll I, I take that back. It's probably one of the reasons. But the the other reason is because I have no clue what to do with these laundry products. You know, there's all kinds of different laundry products out there. You know, some of them are, you know, no-brainers, like laundry soap or something like that. But, but you know, with the bleach and the, and the color-safe bleach and these Oxy products. I mean, you know, you've got Oxidol, you've got OxiClean. I mean, when, when do you use these things? I have no clue when you use these things, which some people would say that that makes me an oxymoron. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And with laundry... With laundry, you know, I've discovered that you can put a pair of socks, 2 that's two socks for those of you keeping score at home, two socks in the dryer and come out with only one sock from the dryer. And the other sock, the missing sock, somehow mysteriously reappears in the white load in the washing machine that now is pink. I mean, you know, things don't always turn out as planned with laundry. And things don't always turn out as planned in life either, for that matter. You know, um... The job that you thought would be perfect for you, someone else gets. Or uh, that uh, doctor that you go to says the word cancer. Your body begins to fall apart and uh, you can't do the things that you used to be able to do. Or your spouse says goodbye. Goodbye or someone close to you dies. You know, life doesn't always go as planned, does it? That's the reason why we need this thing called hope. We need hope just to be able to get out of bed in the morning. We need hope to be able to make it through. We need hope to make life worthwhile. Yes, but how? How do we get hope? Well, many of you uh, here who are uh, college sports fans in this area might be familiar with uh, the name Bobby Knight, who used to coach the uh, Indiana basketball team. And Bobby also was famous for the chair-throwing across the court incident, um, which uh, kind of led to his dismissal, I think, there at, at Indiana. But Bobby wrote this book recently that is called this. This is the title of the book, The Power of Negative Thinking. Sounds like something that Bobby Knight would write, huh? I mean, a great bestseller. No, I'm not so sure it is. But he says this. He says that in, in this book, he says that hope is wishful thinking. He's not big on hope. He says that it's foolish and lazy to tell yourself that things are going to be all right. They'll only be all right if somebody steps up and does something. Well, Mary Magdalene was about to discover that first Easter morning that someone did something. And therefore, there's now reason Now there is reason for all of us to have hope, and that's good news. On that first Easter morning, Mary set out with two other women, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. I've been trying to convince the readers all weekend that her name is pronounced Salami, but none of them bought it. Salome went to the tomb, and on the way they wondered how in the world they were going to be able to roll the stone away, and lo and behold, there it was rolled away. So they went in went into the stone, went into the tomb. But they brought with them on this journey to the the tomb a certain something. They brought with them these spices, which we can, I think, fairly say are the spices of death. Because these spices were the spices that were used to embalm a body. From today's perspective, that's what it would be used for. And spices in the day of Jesus, in that time, really up until recently uh, in the history of the world, have been something that has really driven the economy of the world. And it's something that Christopher Columbus, when he set off to, uh, on his great journey, he was uh, setting out, among other things, to find a new trade route to trade spices. And along the way, he happened to discover this place called, later called America. And the wise men, when they came to Jesus, uh, baby Jesus in that manger in Bethlehem, they came there and they brought, of course, three different sets of gifts, gold and two kinds of spices. The first one, frankincense, is a kind of spice they use to make incense in the temple. It's It's used for worship. The second spice is a spice that is used to prepare bodies for burial. What a strange gift to give to a baby, right? And yet, what it really uh, tells us is is this, that with those kinds of spices that that Jesus was given, is that Jesus is one to be worshipped, okay, with that first spice, but Jesus also was born to die. He was born for this moment, when Mary comes to the tomb, bearing spices, which are probably including the spice that he was given at his birth, spices to prepare his body for burial. Now, with that, Mary was coming with the spice of death, which is because Mary had no hope. Therefore, it's appropriate that she brought the spice of death. Many people go through life as though they are carrying the spice of death. They go through life as though they are living in those pre-dawn moments of Easter where Jesus is not yet known to be resurrected. Instead, they're carrying through their life the spice of death and, and the aroma of something in their past or things in their past that have happened, that have gone on, that continue to have sway over them, and in some cases control them, influence their life from that moment onward in ways that it's difficult to even identify. But they're controlled because they're carrying the spice of death instead of the spice of life. In fact, a person walks through life either carrying the spice of death or carrying the spice of life. Now what is the spice of life? Well, that's what Mary was about to find out. And the question this morning for you is this. Are you going through life carrying the spice of death as though Jesus wasn't even resurrected? Or are you carrying the spice of life? Now, the three women arrived at the stone. They were surprised to see that that stone was rolled away. So they walked through the door of the tomb into the tomb. And lo and behold, who should be there but some man who is dressed in white. And it was an angel, and he, and he terrified the women. I mean, just imagine that. If you all of a sudden saw something like that, it would be terrifying, wouldn't it? I don't know what would go through a person's mind at that moment. But, but uh, God sympathizes with our condition, and he says this. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. There's no body there. But go tell his disciples about this and that Jesus will meet them. But did the women listen to that? No, at least not according to the Gospel of Mark. Instead, it says that they were terrified and therefore said nothing to anybody. Now, how could this be? In the other Gospels, we can read where they went and they did tell people. So how do we combine combine those two? I think, okay, just this is in my fertile imagination, okay? Something like this could possibly occur where Mary goes back to the upper room where she finds the disciples waiting as she left them before she went off to the tomb in their pre-dawn Easter morning condition, which means hopeless. They didn't have to carry the spices of death to the tomb. They had them right there with them in the upper room because they didn't know that Jesus was alive, and they were living like they didn't know that Jesus was alive. So Mary came up to the uh, upper room, terrified, confused, bewildered, didn't know what to make of all this. I mean, this is, you know, can I believe this? What happened? What's going on? So she came back, and she was silent. And she sat there in the upper room, and finally the disciples couldn't stand it anymore. And Peter said to her, Mary, you've been sitting here quiet for a while. Tell me, how are you? How was things at the tomb? How did they go? Did, Mary did, did the... Did the guards harass you when you went to the tomb? Mary, do we need to talk to those guards? I hope not, because I'm, I'm terrified up here. I don't want to leave this room. So Mary, how are you doing? I'm fine. Mary, we all know that when you say, I'm fine, you're not fine, okay? We know that. So Mary, tell us, what happened? Finally, Mary spills the beans. And she says, well... We were on our way to the tomb and we were talking among ourselves, didn't know how we'd rolled the stone away, but we got there and the stone was already rolled away. So we walked through the door and inside the the tomb there was this man who was obviously somebody who didn't have a red sock in his white load. And he was there and he told us that Jesus was alive. And Peter, I think that he was an angel. And Peter says, wait a minute, roll that back just a little bit here. Jesus is alive? Is that what you said? Jesus is alive? Uh Uh-huh. So Peter and John run to the tomb with Mary close on their heels. They make it to the tomb. Peter runs into the tomb, sees that, oh, yes, indeed, the body is gone. He's not there. So they wander back. Peter and John wander back, talking among themselves, wondering what in the world is going on here, leaving Mary behind to discover this thing for herself, to discover that hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. To discover the difference between the spice of death and the spice of life. That the spice of death is something that somebody carries around with them, representing that Jesus is not alive in their life. But the spice of life is the presence of the living Jesus. That because he lives, it's not just a matter of where we go when we die, which is, hallelujah, a wonderful place but it's a matter of who you go with through this life. And that one is Jesus. He is the spice of life. It's Easter. And on this day, many people get up early, some a little later, get up early, go sing a bunch of songs, talk about how Jesus is resurrected, and isn't that great? And it is. And go home and have some ham. And that's Easter. But there's more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. Jesus is the name of hope. Jesus is the spice of life. And as the spice of life, in order to experience that spice of life, here's the thing that has to happen. Is, Is this. You know, you may look at yourself and say, wow, you know, I wonder if maybe that thing that happened back when is still impacting me. Maybe that's, maybe that's impacting my relationships. Maybe that's why it's difficult to trust people. Maybe, that's why, maybe I'm having a tough time moving on. How do I do that? Here's the way, okay? Here's how you do it. And Jesus modeled it for us. You want to experience a resurrection? Here's what's got to happen. There's got to be a dead body in order for there to be a resurrection. You can't resurrect something that's not dead, okay? Which means this. In Jesus' case, he had to die. Good Friday. He had to die. He had to be buried, and the Romans made sure that that happened, and it happened thoroughly. For us, what it means is that when we want to experience the resurrection in our life firsthand and experience the spice of life instead of the spice of death, we need to make sure that there's a dead body, which means that we need to allow this old self, this old person to die, be buried, and seal off the tomb and don't go in there again. And in its place, God gives us a new body. He gives us a new self. And that self is the self that goes through life, carrying the spice of life instead of the spice of death, which means that Jesus goes with us through life and that this hope has the name Jesus and that this hope is not anything that is contingent upon my circumstances, all lining up appropriately so that that everything is perfect because that ain't hope and that ain't never happening, all right? Now, here's, here's what I find when I try to share, you know, the good news with people. One of, the, one of the real challenging things about sharing the good news, and oftentimes, you know, when I talk about this, I get these blank stares back like I'm speaking Swahili or something, okay? Hopefully that's not happening today. But here's the thing is that when a person goes through life carrying the spice of death, okay, what happens is that a person lives this life that is all about me. You know, they're not going to say that necessarily, and they you know, show love and care for people, of course. But, but really, when it comes right down to it, it is all about me, which means that my expectations of life and my expectations of God are totally different because it's all about me. Therefore, a person who is walking around with the spice of death will walk around expecting that God is going to behave a certain way, that God has a certain job to do here. And God's job is this, according to carrying around the spice of death. And that is this that God's job is to make sure that I don't have any problems. And to make sure that nobody close to me dies. And that if I do have problems or if somebody close to me dies, well, then God didn't do his job. And I'm angry at God at that moment because he failed me, he didn't do his job. But think about it A, are those expectations realistic? And B, is that God's job? But the spice of life says this, and there's a conversion that happens here. The spice of life says that no, it's about the resurrected one. It's about this one who comes into life and makes life worth living even in spite of my circumstances so that I might rise above those circumstances and experience his spirit and his presence as the living one, the one who came out of that tomb alive Regardless of what life is like. And he is there with me because he's alive. Back in 1871, in the city of Chicago, there was a man by the name of Horatio Stafford. And Horatio Stafford, by uh, all external indications anyway, was a very successful man. He was a successful businessman, he was a, a successful attorney, and he was a devout Christian. And he had a wonderful family, he had a great wife. Great kids, several daughters, he had a son, and uh, he was investing heavily in the real estate of this boomtown of Chicago, and things were going amazingly well. But in 1871 was also the year of the Chicago Fire, the Great Chicago Fire, which burned all of his real estate investments to the ground. So it was all gone, and he was suddenly destitute. Well, uh, with the help of his wife and his kids and the support, that they gave him he was able to rebuild this rebuild what he had invested and until two years later when tragedy struck once again this time it was his son his son died suddenly and the family was so overcome with grief so overcome with loss that they had to do something so they decided that they were going to go on vacation They were going to go to England and stay with some friends, some dear friends, and and by staying with them, they knew they'd be able to heal up, come on back, and plug into things in Chicago. So they booked passage on the ship, but then something came up where Horatio had to stay behind, take care of some business for a few days. He told them, you go on ahead. I don't want to delay the trip. You go on ahead. I'll catch up with you in three days. So he sent on his wife and, and their daughters on the ship ahead of them. Well, on November 22nd, That ship was struck by another ship in the Atlantic Ocean. And within 20 minutes, it sunk to the bottom of the Atlantic. His wife, Horatio's wife, was found a little while later, unconscious, clinging to part of the wreckage of the ship. She was brought to shore. And there on shore, she she sent a telegram to Horatio with two words on it, only two words, Saved Alone. Their daughters were never found. So Horatio booked passage on the next possible ship to come to the side of his grieving wife. And on that ship, as he was traveling to her side, he asked the captain to please alert him when they came close to the spot where his family's ship went down. The, pa- the, the, the captain alerted him of that, and Horatio retired to his cabin. And once there in his cabin... Over that site where his family's ship went down, Horatio penned these words of this beloved hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, how could he possibly say that? Doesn't Horatio know what he has lost? Doesn't he care about his wife and his daughters? Doesn't he care? Of course he does. But he also is one who knows that hope has a name and that that name is Jesus. And he is one who goes through life, whatever the circumstances might be, not carrying the spice of death, but carrying the spice of life. And you cannot go through life without carrying one of those two. It's a choice. And he carried the spice of life. Horatio knew that in the end, because Jesus lived, he would see his daughters again. He knew that there was this victory over the grave, that Satan might have a temporary say in the matter, but in the end, he know who who writes the end of this story. And that's the one who's the author of hope. Hope has a name. He is the spice of life. So today, when you leave this place, you know, oftentimes we can go away from an Easter service and say, wow, wasn't that great? That was wonderful. Hey, let's get on with the rest of our life like nothing ever happened. But today, what I want to do is invite you to take a look at your own life and say, have I been carrying the spice of death, as though Jesus has not re- really been, ri- been raised from the dead? Or am I carrying the spice of life, a sign that Jesus truly is raised from the dead? Well, today, choose to carry the spice of life and know that hope has a name. That name is Jesus.